I'm Sarah. And I'm Ashley. In high school, we were best friends. And now that we're old, we're still best friends. And we both really love the show Friends. We love it so much that we thought we'd rewatch it together and tell you all about it. So join us to find out all the details that two people who weren't there can find out from the internet. Could there there be be better friends watching Friends? All right, welcome to Better Friends Watching Friends podcast. I'm Ashley. I'm Sarah. And we are really excited to get into season one, episode two, the one with the sonogram today. Yes, I have many thoughts. Oh my gosh, so many thoughts. I also just want to say that I'm so excited about this episode because there's so much character development. Yeah, agreed. It. And like you were saying in the last episode, how like disjointed it felt, I think this one feels a lot more fleshed out than complete. A lot less like awkward transitions um, and abrupt just like endings to things. It felt like there was a flow. Absolutely. So I have some fun facts to start off with um, from mining the internet. Um, So first, and probably the most important, This is the first episode that features Chandler's cadence of the way he speaks. Could I be any more amused? Could I be wearing any more clothes? Could I be any more excited about this podcast? I don't think so. (laughs) That was superb. (laughs) Um, And then my second fact was that this episode had so many introductions mm-hmm. um so we meet so many of the peripheral characters um and that's really exciting we see we meet carol um and her partner susan um, we see gunther for the first time um ross and monica's parents and there is absolutely no reference to anyone dating anybody oh my gosh i didn't even notice that I also, I have to say, I had a ton of notes the first time for the first episode about the first time we meet Gunther and then realized it wasn't in that episode. It was this one. And then didn't even notice Gunther at all. I'm so glad. I like was ready to look out for it and I completely didn't even notice him because he doesn't speak, right? No, but I thought it was so interesting that specifically it was like a no dating episode when there seems to be someone someone dating someone all the time so this is was a strictly character defining backstory episode that really got the like explained a lot of the character development and like why they act the way they do why they interact the way they do so that was really exciting I uh didn't even notice that at all and I'm really impressed that you caught that because (laughs) there really was just backstory or like you know Back facts. <laughs> Back facts. Exactly. <laughs> All right. So um, let's see. This episode was directed, um, was written by Kaufman and Crane, um, and again directed by James Burroughs. So same as the pilot. Um, did you have any anything you wanted to say about this particular episode before we jump into a summary? Yes. Do you want to guess how many people viewed this one? You know I'm horrible at guessing. Yeah, that's kind of why I want you to guess. <laughs> Okay, I think the pilot, you said the pilot was 25 or 20. So I'm going to go a little higher and say 27 million. It was 20.2 million. Wow. 
So, okay. I mean, you were closer than last time you said five. So that was aiming for the stars. Yeah. <laughs> You're really giving them the benefit of the doubt that people <laughs> were like into it after one episode. So um, the other thing I was going to say is it aired on September 29th, 94. And do you want to hear what one of one of the critics said about this episode after the first one aired? Am I not going to like it? They called it formulaic and in places sadly derivative. No one knows who those critics are. <laughs> it's okay. Also, they didn't know what was what what they were talking about and what was going to happen with this series. So, it's okay. We forgive them. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's all I've got. I'm ready for a summary. All right. Well, I, I uh, took this summary from TV.com. Carol, Ross's lesbian ex-wife, delivers the startling news that she is pregnant with his child. Monica is in a panic over a visit from her parents and hopes that Ross's news about his pregnant lesbian ex-wife will take some of the heat off her from her hypercritical mother. Rachel returns Barry's engagement ring only to discover that he still went on their honeymoon, except he went with Mindy, her best friend and maid of honor. That's a lot. Yeah. A lot of, lot to unpack there, <laughs> which I'm so excited to do. And if you listen to that summary, like, it seems like Joey Chandler and Phoebe are just like off on a vacation. Like, what are they doing? <laughs> So we do learn little tidbits about the three of them. Yeah. I think that they are very much periphery characters to those other three. Yeah, I think they're like there's so much going on with those three that the other side stories with the other three are very minimal. But not so much happens in this one. Like it's not even worth mentioning them in the summary because it's a big one. <laughs> All right. I know you have a lot to say about the cold open. Oh, yeah. I'm going to let you start. Oh, the fighting traffic and looking for the comedian, this whole monologue about, not monologue, this um, metaphor about having sex and relating it to going to see a band, the comedian that opens. This is another clip that was on the season one soundtrack. And I heard over and over and over and I don't think I understood that it was a metaphor at all and <laughs> um I just like again I just love when I hear those because it brings me back to sixth grade and I loved that this like in the first episode we saw immediately Joey and Chandler attacking Monica being like you're bad at dating like why would anyone there's something wrong with him why would he date you and in this one it's our first cold open I guess it that's what you call it from SNL. Sure. Yes. We're going to call it, we're going to call it that and whatever. Perfect. Um, and we get to see the Monica and the girls like actually teaching the guys something about dating and being like, yes, kissing and foreplay are important. And if you don't do it, like we're not interested. Okay. I do love that. That that it was like, it was almost like a cage match. Like the boys were on one side with on one side of the couch on the chair. And then the girls were on the other side and it was very much like coming together to, to teach each other or, or school each other on this whole thing. I do want to say, I feel like it was very misogynistic. <laughs> yeah. The boys were, the guys were just like, we don't care about kissing. All we care about is the sex. But and then we want to go to sleep. 
I felt as like a piece of writing, mm-hmm. this extended metaphor, the way that it kept building and kept going, like I thought it was done when they talked about like that was the whole, like when Ross says, it's not like we don't like the comedian. It's that's just not why we bought the ticket. I was like, oh, that's so great. And it stops right there. But then when Chandler says, we're in the the car fighting traffic, basically just trying to stay awake and you girls are always looking for the comedian again. I was like, oh my God, it's still going. This is so good. But then like the clincher is when Rachel mentions, well, you better bring back the comedian or you'll find yourself sitting on that couch listening to that album alone. I was like, oh, you just brought it like full circle. That was such a brilliant piece of writing. Yeah. Um, So although it was, I had my issues with it, it was, I mean, I had to, I had to give him props. Totally agree. I think the metaphor itself is like very brilliantly written. I just was so appalled at the, at like their argument being like, all we care about is sex. Nothing else is important. What's wrong with you girls? Like, why do you do that? Then after Rachel says like, you'll be on the couch listening to it alone. My favorite part is we get to see dumb down Joey being like, are we still talking about sex? I just love that. It's so endearing. Yeah. It's so good. And it's like, it's not like too dumbed down. It's just no. like sweetly dumbed down. Just like, what's, where, what are, can we just talk about sex? What's happening? <laughs> <laughs> I feel like I have to keep reminding myself that this was the mid nineties. Mm-hmm. Some of the topics and the, like the dialogue, I think, especially as we go through this podcast, it might not hold up to current expectations and culture as much as I feel like I want it to. Yeah. So I'm going to, I'm going to give them a little grace and realize a little absurdly that that was a different time even though it doesn't feel like that long ago I agree I think we see that actually in Joey because at seven seconds in I think it was Rachel who said kissing's the the biggest part of it like that kissing's just as important and Joey goes yeah right and and we get to see like womanizer Joey but I think as we go through the show they actually balance that out so much with his naive like his naivety oh my god I can't say that word naivete (laughs) his naivete and his genuine vulnerability too it like actually really does balance out some of that what now through a now lens looks like misogyny yes I think they do correct some of that as they go agreed we have now the theme song which has spliced together scenes from the first season which is so exciting yeah and we finally get our rhythmic clapping we get our claps (laughs) (laughs) i wanted to say just one other thing about that cold open if you notice phoebe's hair this time she has like a much more reasonable amount of hair and it's like in two pigtails but it's braided this time it seems like much more um what's the word like in balance with the size of her body versus her hair (laughs) but when her hair fits her head her hair fits her head yes unlike so many people in the 80s and 90s hair fits her head but if we swivel to Ross when he's talking about you know buying the ticket I don't think I realized 
all these jokes that come later about his hair being like an oil slick it is so greasy it's so bad it's so bad it looks like he fell into a vat of oil it is so bad (laughs) I don't remember that being a thing like I don't remember that being a cultural thing the slicked hair yeah no okay no I knew it was a thing in Friends (laughs) and like a running joke yeah Ross's hair and he looks way better once he loses he loses the gel so much better. And I think also they all seem to be wearing much more appropriate outfits this time for like their age and status in life. They just seem less forced, I guess. Well, just you wait. I have, I have some things to say about some of the outfits coming up, but we'll, I'll, I'll, I'll hold on to that. I got some things, Sarah. I can't wait. Sassy Ashley's coming. Yes. <laughs> gonna get that sass. So we were talking last time about how we have no idea what Ross does yet. And now at 158, our first glimpse of the Museum of Natural History. This is what the sign says, Museum of Prehistoric History. That does not exist. There is a Museum of Natural History, but I feel like that exterior shot and then panning to the very close up of the signage I don't know it made it made me giggle <laughs> didn't even notice that it said prehistoric yeah. history like, that's really really pigeonholing yourself yeah. right there it's real specific it's like a whole museum for the prehistoric history <laughs> wow good catch I didn't even notice that holy cow so then it transitions inside and we see Ross with one of his coworkers and there's all this hustle and bustle around them of are they like making a new exhibit? I don't, I don't, I wasn't sure. Okay. I also noticed this. I was like, what is the deal with the background guy, whatever it is he's doing behind Carol when they're talking? Like, I, I was like, this is so unnecessary. I can't concentrate on what's happening in the foreground because this one guy is just like going back and forth behind them doing some kind of bustly thing. I don't know what he's doing. And it's totally unnecessary. He's like violently brushing or painting, but it's very quick. Yeah. And it it clearly says like coming soon on this exhibit. So it's totally reasonable to assume that Ross and his coworker and Carl are the, like, the only people over here. We don't need other people. Like, just get get rid of that guy. I was so distracted by him. It's making me angry. <laughs> 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 I wanted to say one thing about the coworker. Um, she's our, our first guest star of this episode. She Her name is Meryl Marco. I hope I'm saying that right. And she plays Marsha. I have some really cool facts about her. I had never heard of her before. She was the head writer on the David Letterman show, which was an early morning talk show that was only on for five months in 1980. Wait, David Letterman show? It wasn't the late night. It was called the David Letterman show and it was a morning talk show. I had no idea that even existed. Same. Wow. Apparently she dated David Letterman for 10 years. In 1978 to 88, and she was the original head writer on Late Night with David Letterman. Ooh, that's spicy. I know, right? She also wrote on Sex and the City, and she has written articles that have appeared in 
New York Times, LA Times, Huffington Post, Rolling Stone, People, Esquire, and Glamour. Okay, I knew I liked her. I didn't know why, but I love how sassy she is. Mm -hmm. For some reason, and this may just be like a preconceived notion, but I, I really thought that the way this might have also been just 90s fashion and me not understanding, but I thought the way that she was dressed, like she was like one of those museum tour guide Mm -hmm. curator people. And so for some, like, I thought that Ross was maybe her boss, but the way that she was talking to him was so like cutting. I just, I kind of loved it. I loved it. She had great sass. She was being such a feminist about the cave people. And he was like, (laughs) their problems are like, oh, that iceberg's getting real close. Like, oh no, the mastodon's going to eat us. And she's like, he's out gathering food and leaving her alone in the cave. It was so good. Getting the mastodon smell out of the carpet. (laughs) (laughs) So good. She also was in the aristocrats. Oh, really? Yeah. And apparently just won a television writing achievement award from the Writers Guild of America this year. Oh my gosh. I've never heard of her before. <laughs> either. I feel so bad. Also, I, I live in a hole, so that's okay. I mean, <laughs> it's not saying much. Letterman's on Netflix now, so I have no access to these old <laughs> Letterman shows. But she won for her writing that led to the popularization of the Letterman show. Wow. And... Last fact about Meryl, her most important achievement, she currently lives with four dogs. Oh, I hope they're rescue dogs. I think so. <laughs> she seems she seems like a rescue type. I think so. <laughs> I do also love the fact that when she's like, oh, is that your ex-wife, Carol? And he's like, no, no, no. And she's like, hi, Carol. She totally steals that whole scene. She's so good. So good. So, so good. I'm going to have to watch the aristocrats. Not the aristocats. The dirty one, aristocrats. The joke one. Yes, yeah, that one. The gross Bob Saget one. All right. So at 2.33, we meet Carol and see her for the first time. Um, and she is played by Anita Baron, Barone, Baroni. I was thinking it's Baroni because I have a friend who has that last name. Okay. Anita Baroni. Um, So I have some really interesting facts about her. She had been thinking that the character of Carol was going to be much more of a series regular. And when found out that it was a little less of a character with, you know, on the periphery, that's why she left the show after this after this episode um, and then was replaced by the new Carol. Um, but that wasn't until that's not until episode nine. So there's quite a bit of a gap until we see that she's been replaced. However, she was not really able to get that good landed, um, you know, established character in any other shows which it's it's kind of a tragic tale um so she did get she did get the part um on the Jeff Foxworthy show on ABC as the role of his wife Karen Foxworthy but then ABC canceled it after a year so she left it was later picked up by NBC and ran like another 
something crazy like 11, 12, 13 seasons with a replacement for his wife. Double whammy, man. Well, she's such a good ground floor getter in her. And then just like, it's misses out. <laughs> I know. I, I felt kind of bad, but I don't think that this was her part. Like, I don't yeah. feel the chemistry between her and Ross at all. And I know it was their first and their, like their first scene together. And like, this is their only episode, but I feel like her replacement who I, with the actress, I'm not, I'm not, um, Sibbett. thank you. Um, she just, she was so much more biting yeah. and like back and forth to, to like be a counter to Ross yeah. that I just, I love her. And I'm so glad that, that they, I think they won in that recast. I agree. I think that this Carol, um, Anita, she is too like actressy. Does that make sense? Like, yeah. But like, do you know what I mean? She's more like, uh, I don't know. Anyway. I feel like new Carol is much more grounded and holds Ross accountable. Yeah. Like she, Anita Baroni is just, she's cute yeah. and like kind of sweet and like just very blah almost like I didn't get a lot of personality from her and maybe that's where the chemistry was lacking yeah I think she was more like she may have been really good on like a soap opera maybe yeah I could see that she just didn't seem like she knew her lines but she didn't seem to have the like believability I guess is what I'm trying to say personality personality I mean no offense to her um yeah but I don't know if you saw the other shows she was in I stopped there because I got sad. Oh, well, don't be too sad because she has also been in, um, in the fourth season of Seinfeld, she was played a person who was a chef who wanted Elaine's shoes, which I don't remember that one. I don't remember that either. I'm gonna have to go back and watch it. Yeah, she was on Seinfeld. She was also in Curb, Quantum Leap, Ally McBeal, Caroline in the City, Party of Five, Larry Sanders Show, and Parenthood. So, but I would hesitate to guess that she had very guest starring roles on those, right? I think yeah. they were like one episode, but seems like she's been working. So yeah, good for her. Okay. Well, fashion statement time. Um, she looks cute for the 90s. I mean, I feel like I definitely wore her exact outfit to a seventh grade dance at some point. It's like this cute little baby doll dress, like polka dots with like loafer heels. Mm -hmm. um, she had her hair all like done and it was like, you know, cute for the 90s. Yeah. But also, I like she was too cute. Yeah. Also, like it didn't, it just didn't fit like the whole character for me. Agreed. Yeah. I went down a little bit of a deep dive of like a venti dive. Russ's coworker says, it's not your ex-wife, Carol. And I was like, hang on. Cause in the first episode, she just moved her stuff out. So like, I was trying to figure out how much time has passed in between the first episode and this one, because how much time does a divorce take to happen? Like, are we supposed to believe that it's been, I know in California, it's at least like six months before you can have a divorce finalized. So I did some research in New York to find out how long a divorce takes. And in New York, they don't have a waiting period. So it can be as quick as six weeks. And they said most uncontested New York divorces are resolved in three months. So 
Okay, I would I would hope it was a quick one because she's very clearly not super pregnant. So I feel like I feel like there had to be that timeline just has to be very quick, very fast. Right. Right? So between her leaving, him moving out, and then her coming back and saying, I'm pregnant, and already being his ex-wife, having it be final, we're looking at the six-week mark. I think so. Um, And I have to give credit to Kofinas and Lusthouse, who's a Brooklyn divorce attorney, where I got that information, so... Oh, good job. In Brooklyn and need a divorce, <laughs> go to those guys. <laughs> oh, man. I know I said this about in the last episode, but Ross's physical comedy, whenever, give that man a prop. Yes. And it is, it is pure gold. Like the wraparound, the arm wraparound awkward hug is so good. I literally wrote the exact same thing. I was like, some great David Schwimmer physical comedy with that caveman arm. And the best part about that hug is when after they are done hugging and he kind of holds it and just like drops it awkwardly and like bends his body just like, oh, I don't need this. And it's just so funny. It just doesn't get much better than that. And I also was like, man, I see myself in him so much. Oh my gosh. So, but that's why it's so good. It's so endearing. And so it's like sweetly Ross, you know, and it is realistic. Like there are people who are that awkward. Like you. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my gosh. Um, the other thing about that scene is right after they hug, um, at three 43, Carol says I'm pregnant and Ross's stance matches the caveman. Oh god. He just yes. pauses like that. He's like pregnant. It's just so good. I don't know why his stance reminded me a little of Court Potter. I don't know. It was great. I loved it. <laughs> Do you have anything else about the museum? Again, I I I don't want to beat a dead horse, but the way that Carol mentions that she's pregnant is like so awkward and unnatural it's very line delivery delivery lily yeah and i just i just so appreciate and then she like he's like well where what about your how's your family and she's like oh marty's paranoid and i'm like who the hell is marty yeah who cares yeah exactly um it was just it was very strange writing and delivery and I just felt like it, that part could have been cut, but it made me also appreciate again how when they, they're, the Carol replacement has so much better chemistry and banter yeah. with Ross and better chemistry with Susan, as we see later, yes. um, whom I love. So and <laughs> so I just, I'm sorry, Anita, but you gots to go. Yeah, I totally agree on that like line delivery thing. That's kind of what I meant about her being actressy. And I feel like in this show in particular, these six actors are so good and so believable and like inherit these people so well that when they have guest stars come on who aren't that or or who are like not so gifted with comedy, um, it is really evident that they're acting. 
Like, I feel like I love the Brad episode, Brad Pitt's episode so much, but if you watch him, there is some kind of like awkward, like, I'm trying to be this person and it's yes. just not as good. Whereas the six of them are just like, it's so believable every time. Agreed. Anita, you're great. At three minutes, 52 seconds, we are back in Monica's apartment. Um, all the weird art is still there and more. And um, the gang is there watching an episode of Three's Company. I have to say that I started noticing some background stuff after our last episode and all the things you pointed out. And I wanted to point out a background thing of my own that I guess isn't really background things, but for all the millennials out there, like just check out the size of the TV. <laughs> So true. It's a little box. And it probably weighed like 85 pounds. And that's, my gosh, that's what TV was. You couldn't talk to it. Couldn't like carry it with one hand. (laughs) You probably only had one remote. Yeah. Yeah. I know I have like five. Oh yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I also saw that there are four bouquets of flowers in the apartment. There's so many. And one of them is for sure dead, like very dead, <laughs> very dead, right next to the bathroom door. It's hanging on the wall. It is like not dried. It is dead. <laughs> I don't get it. <laughs> it also, I know you talked about like having statues. We talked about the art around the TV last time, and there are plants on either side of the TV. Also, there's like a fern on each side or something. It's just, I did not notice that. It is a lot. There's, their, their apartment is so overly eclectic. It's, it's almost baffling to, to try and find bath, like background things because it's just such a mix, mixed up mishmash of just thrift store crap. Yeah. Which, which might be, honestly, might have been what my apartment looked like in my 20s that's true but like I don't know not like that much we we had like better taste than that right it wasn't like every single thing I ever saw was in the one room that's true I mean it's every color every pattern every weird piece of art that you could possibly think of and all of it just jammed onto every space and piece of wall that could be there is a blanket on the chair that Joey's sitting in. Did you see this blanket that is red and white diamonds? The diamonds, yes. Oh my God, it is so intense. It looks like it's made out of like a circus tent or like a clown outfit. It's so intense. And like the, the carpet underneath it was floral. And then there's this weird blanket and then there's like just everywhere. And I noticed because of all your background stuff that did you see what was going on in front of the balcony window, like the big picture window or the big planty window? So I noticed, I noticed like a big pink, um, like ugly old chair, but that was, that was the thing that stood out then. So I noticed that over there was a desk. So there's a bench seat and we know there's a bench seat under that window. Yes. In the last episode, we see Rachel like so sadly sitting out the window, like staring out the window, thinking about Ross or whoever. Um, and there was no shit blocking that bench. And now the bench is there, but it has like 
a desk in front of it and that pink upholstered chair to the side of the desk. There's a chair at the desk. There is a CD rack, like one of those tall standing ones. Yes. That's on the bench. And <laughs> there's a pile on the left side of the bench that look like large couch seat cushions, just like piled up on the left. Um, and then also there is what, there's like a tall lamp on the desk and then a weird black stone statue. And then off to the right of the desk is like what looks like the neck of maybe a guitar sticking up, but I couldn't see the bottom. It didn't really look like it had strings, which I was like, what the fuck is that thing? Like, what is all this stuff? Maybe it's all the stuff that Rachel moved in with. Oh, I don't know. I'm just, that just occurred to interesting. me. Interesting. Because between that pink upholstered chair and the desk on the ground in front of the bench is a metal or cement planter filled with some sort of green plant that's like a rectangle. It's like <laughs> one of those ones you'd have on your front porch, but it's like on the floor blocking the bench. I, I don't know. I don't feel like that stuff is there ever again. Yeah. So we'll have to look out for that. Maybe you have a really good point that that's stuff she moved in. But like, why isn't it in her room? I don't know. She seems to have been there for a while. I don't know. <laughs> Something that I caught for the background stuff is that those those old, those old like 1915 pictures or those black and white pictures are gone. Oh. And on the side table next to the couch and chair in the living room, there are now pictures like, colored pictures one of which you can barely make them out I wish I had like enhance 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 <laughs> but um one of which you can definitely see is Monica with some guy not Ross <laughs> but I'm like who is it? it's not Richard it's not well it wouldn't we wouldn't it wouldn't be Richard yet yeah because we haven't gotten there but it's not Ross I don't know who it is it's not her dad not called the wine guy probably <laughs> no but I'm like, I was like, who is it? I wish I had the, that that feature. Um, so don't know who it is. But there, there's definitely around their apartment. There's much more photos. There's some on the fridge yeah. um, of like weird babies and kids. <laughs> and I'm just like, who are these people? Um, but I, I, I could not find out who they were. The strangest part about this whole thing, we'll have to do some research on like who did the props and who did the set design because yeah, I'm curious what other shows they've worked on and like someone greenlit this. Like this was someone's job and someone else was like, sure, that seems great. Go for it. Yeah. There's also at some point we see those open cupboards in the kitchen. Monica's doing something and you can see a cupboard behind her. And not only is it filled with shit, but none of the stuff is like organ. It's just like sideways and not organized at all. It looks like what you would shove at your snack cabinet. You know how everyone has that one snack cabinet that's just like <laughs> bags because you can't put bags in nicely. It's chips and nuts and stuff just jammed. It's that, but with no door. So you can see it. And with dishes. Yeah. It's awful. What is going on? Okay. Agreed. I, again, I have to say, I think Monica would put some doors on her cupboards. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but speaking of Monica, we actually see for the first time her obsessive cleaning compulsive compulsivity. Mm -hmm. um, 
because she is frantically preparing for her parents to visit. Um, and this is the first time that we get a glimpse into like her whole issues about how they prefer Ross over her. And I love her comment when she's just like, you see, he's the prince. <laughs> they had a ceremony before I was born. <laughs> it's like, I love, I love when they have like their, their sibling rivalry comes out so much better than their gross affection. Oh my God. I love when they're not getting along. I think I say, put that in my notes later somewhere. Like, I just love when they're bickering together or when they're like at each other's throats. It's my favorite. Yes. I mean, for sure. Better than the cuddling. Absolutely. Yeah. My, okay. And this is a little, little, um, glimpse into the future, but the only time when I love their their chemistry when they are getting along is the new year's eve dance dance a thon that they do that like that is so good it clark's new year's rock and eve rock and eve yes the dance thank you oh my yes god. so good. which we'll get to down the road it's true when they are both into something it is like so nerdy and so siblingy it's so they're just written so well yeah. you'd mentioned we were watching three's company and at 403 um, there's a great Phoebe moment where Chandler says, I think this is the episode of Three's Company where there's some kind of misunderstanding. And Phoebe picks up the remote and goes, oh, I've already seen this one then and turns it off. <laughs> so good. So little fashion, Phoebe. She, I, I, I actually thought she looked really cute in this one. Mm-hmm. Like her hair was really like wavy and like kind of half up and she was wearing like a very fashion forward for the 90s like pink bodysuit with like a like a long flowy skirt yeah and it was like it was very like form-fitting for her where I think she usually goes a little more flowy Mm -hmm. bouncy but I thought I was like she looks good she looks like she could be today right there yeah totally um, on the other hand, um, Chandler's bowling shirt is a total train wreck. Isn't it tucked in? So I didn't notice that. The pattern was just like giving me a migraine. It it was the bowling shirt, big block, like blocked stripes. Mm-hmm. But then the rest of it looked like it could double as a finely woven picnic basket. <laughs> I, was, I was just like, who'd... Who designed this? What happened? Anyway. What does a finely woven picnic basket look like? You know the checkers? Like the, the red and white checkers? Oh, yes. It's it's like they took the clown blanket sure. and just like miniaturized the pattern Got it. on his shirt. That's a lot. Good lord. <laughs> <laughs> That's so good. Um, we also, like you were saying, we get our first classic Chandler enunciation. Monica's walking around um, trying to fluff the pillows. And um, Phoebe says something like, you're scaring me. And Monica's all obsessed. I can't remember what the context is now of what Monica says. But Chandler says, we all know how cruel a parent can be about. No, no, I'm not going to say it right. Um, I even, I like put it in capitalize, capitalize it so I would know how to enunciate it. Just start over. Okay. Uh, he says about the flatness of a child's pillow. <laughs> anyway, that's funny. 
love it. And he delivered it much better. He did a great job. Very funny. <laughs> oh my God. You're funny too, Sarah. <laughs> At 510, we have our first introduction of Ugly Naked Guy. When Chandler mentions that Ugly Naked Guy got a thigh master, I have a fun fact about this. So not only is it the first um, reference to Ugly Naked Guy, but they were just watching Three's Company starring Suzanne Summers, who was prominently featured in the Thighmaster infomercials. Boom. Wow. I did not even catch that. That's worth a mic flip, I think. <laughs> That's really good. Good catch. I wonder if that was, I mean, that had to be intentional, right? Like, Thighmasters were the rage then. I would hope so. I, but I, I was, I mean... I very much remember those infomercials. Yeah. Wow. That's a really good catch. I'm impressed. Thank you. All I could think about was like, oh, ugly naked guy's here. Yay. <laughs> um, about ugly naked guy too, there's a really great article that somebody wrote going on a year-long quest to try to find out the identity of the actor who plays ugly naked guy in person later in later episodes. Mm-hmm. And I won't reveal who he is now until we get to an episode where we actually see his body. But I'll, we'll have to put the link in like the show notes. Um, there's a great article you can read. It's so funny. This guy worked so hard for a year to figure out who this person is. That's a great, that's a great little tidbit. I love it. Yeah. While you were talking about fashion, Rachel is wearing what appears to be a 10-year-old t-shirt with a sarong. Isn't it, is it tied? I think so. It's either tied or remember those like scrunchy, like plastic scrunchies you could get for your shirts? Yes. It looks like it's attached with one of those things. But it is like very clearly not a full skirt. It is like slid up, like it's a piece of fabric that's been tied somewhere. How? Yeah. Yeah. It's like the slutty version of, the slutty trashy version of Phoebe's. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Because I noticed they were both like rocking the like long skirtage. Yeah. It seems like a very high maintenance outfit. It's like a Spice Girls baby doll kind of shirt with like the white ring around the neck, but it's wrong. So speaking of Rachel and Phoebe, um, when Rachel comes out of her room and says, has anyone seen my engagement ring? And Phoebe says, yeah, it's beautiful. Again, it makes me love her more. Yeah. <laughs> because it's just like, I know that it comes off as like ditzy, like, oh, she's not understanding what Rachel's like meaning is, but like in the same token, she's totally calling out Rachel's like materialism or her like need for constant validation. She's just like, ah, yeah, get over yourself. I just, I love it. And at the end of that scene at 6.05, Phoebe says doy. <laughs> joy probably the last place you left it is where it is and Chandler goes you don't get a lot of joy these days and I I had to look up whether it's spelled d-o-y or d-o-i because in my mind it's always been d-o-i yeah me too so according to urbandictionary.com it can be spelled either way and if you're unsure what joy means and didn't grow up in the 90s it's another way of saying like no kidding or no Sherlock 
is the <laughs> urban dictionary says that it's pointing out that something said by another was painfully obvious. And apparently I did not know this. It originated in the mid seventies and was used primarily by females known as Valley girls. Oh, I didn't know that. There's also something I had never heard before that it was often followed by the word now. So the example they gave was Jody would say, ice cream is cold. And Jill would go, joy now. I have never heard that. I've never said. <laughs> but I've heard no joy. Yeah, no joy. Maybe that's where it like evolved from joy now to no joy. <laughs> there you go. Joy now. Thank you for that cultural lesson. You're welcome. <laughs> okay, so I have, I have a weird editing thing that I want to just go back a couple seconds to. Mm-hmm. Um, so... At 5.56, when Monica tells like them all that like, oh, we'll find the ring. Like we will find it as like a hint, hint. Everyone start looking. Chandler is at that very moment. It cuts to Chandler sitting on the chair in the living room. And then when, the, when Monica delivers that line, and in, the camera immediately cuts back to her walking into the kitchen. Chandler has seemingly like time traveled because he is now standing at the refrigerator. There is like within a second at 5.57, he's magically over there. So there's no way he could have like moved. So that was just a weird piece of editing. You are finding all the time traveling all the likes, I mean, you were a Trekkie, right, growing up, so you're finding all the, like, space jumping. I was. Next generation, man. The best ever. Captain Picard. <laughs> Patrick Stewart, yeah. I do know him. I do know that one. He's the best. The best captain ever. <laughs> I'll take your word for it. I would follow him into a black hole. I probably would, too, even if it wasn't in a space show, I'd probably still follow him. him. (laughs) Seems trustworthy. He does. (laughs) So after they are um, looking for the ring, Rachel is kind of walking herself through, what am I going to do? Like she kind of wanders into the kitchen where then we get a lot of um, biting Chandler, like witticisms of like, she was like, last I was in the kitchen and he's like, with Dinah (laughs) just so topical and like okay Chandler yeah we get it can you imagine having that around constantly like everything you say is followed up by some like that like it's just that would be a lot they have a lot of patience but then at that point both Rachel and Monica realize that the ring is most likely in the lasagna that they painstakingly made for Monica's parents, right? To prep to prep for this dinner. Mm-hmm. Okay, a note on the lasagna. It is perhaps the saddest <laughs> lasagna I have ever seen. And the fact that Monica is a chef in a restaurant, like I I, I can't even because this lasagna is like flat and sad and half full. It doesn't even fill the pan. It's like an inch tall. So it's just like noodles and like one layer. Yeah. 
And then when Monica holds it up underneath to look, it is clearly burnt around the edges. So I'm just like, what, what's happening here? Come on, come on. And it doesn't look like enough to feed them. Right. Yeah. So I, I don't know. I'm like, maybe it was better that they had spaghetti because that lasagna looked like crap. It looked awful. And I will have some things to say about that spaghetti when we get to it. I think some issues with that spaghetti also. But the other thing about the lasagna is Rachel goes, but look how straight the noodles are. And I'm like, okay, lasagna, Monica's a chef. Lasagna is not a two-person job. And Rachel, we find out later, is useless in the, like, she's terrible at cooking. Why? Or trifle. Specifically, that's what I was thinking. <laughs> But why would you need help putting noodles in a row and then plopping sauce on it? Like, it's not hard to make. Also, it's the most foolproof recipe you could possibly do. You can't tell if the noodles are straight. It's all covered in cheese. Right. I mean, good ones are. This one appears to just be that's true. sauce and noodles. And that's it. Just one layer. Anyway. <laughs> I love that. I love when you rant. It's the best. <laughs> I find the things that really get to my core and just like stay on that. Well, and as the dominatrix, like it makes sense that you would take issue with that sad, <laughs> sad lasagna because you can't eat that with that. It's just like sad with sad. No, oh, it's a, it, it was just full on offensive. <laughs> can't handle it. <laughs> oh God. At 6.57, Ross shows up at the door, and his the first time we hear his very classic, low, like, raspy-throated, hi. Hi. And I have to say, back to our 90s fashion, he is wearing the worst denim shirt I have ever seen in my whole life. With a tie. Oh my god, the tie. The tie appears to be so wide that it makes him look like a child who's wearing his dad's clothes. I don't understand what's going on. I also made a note about the tie because it was so, like, the horizontal stripes, they were, like, purple on beige. And, like, it's just, it's so terrible. And, yes, the width. It was so wide. I've never seen a tie like that. I feel like I want to give like maybe the wardrobe people credit of just giving him like the saddest outfit to go with like his saddest demeanor because like it totally matches his high like if if his high could have a wardrobe it would be what he's wearing that's true that is a high wardrobe for sure <laughs> hi. Hi. that shirt I mean that shirt is definitely 90s but like who even in the 90s wears a tie with a denim button-up shirt like he is supposed to be a professional who dresses up professionally at the museum I assume but I was baffled yeah yes so when he enters and tells everyone that Carol's pregnant or that she and Susan are going to raise it and that he can be as involved as he wants we also see there after Ross comes in that the door is still labeled apartment five so that hasn't changed yet I'm just keeping track of it there's also a gold thing under the, the number on the door. I was curious if you saw it or if you know what it is. It's like a little 
peepholes? I did. Is it a peephole? Like no. the little like. So the peephole is above the number. And then under the number, my parents have this same doorbell on our, it's a doorbell. So on the outside, there's like a little, it's like almost a key shape that you turn. And on the inside, it would be like, ring, ring, ring. Um, so you just like turn it. My parents have the same one. I don't ever remember noticing this on their door ever again. And I, no one's ever used it in the show. So I No, because they have a buzzer to get into the building. Right. But also, it seems like people don't need the buzzer to get in because they just show up all the time. Yeah. <laughs> I'm curious why they have all these things to announce people coming that are not used ever. That's true. But I wanted to track and see if that gets removed because I'd never noticed that before. It must be gone later because yeah. I, I don't remember ever seeing it before, but I did notice it and I, I didn't know what it was. I just thought it was a weird decoration. Again, too much stuff. There's too much going on. Yep. Yep. Yeah. At uh, 721, our friend Monica is still wearing a diamond ring on her left finger. So that's still happening. Can I just also just, because I, I forgot to mention Monica's fashion. Mm. She's wearing a vest for a shirt. Correct. And it appears to be like a homecoming man's vest. <laughs> it's white and very polyester, very like, like stiff. Yeah. I, I didn't know what that was, what that was about because I didn't know that was a thing, but it, I kept waiting for like weird gaps to happen and it wasn't too bad. No, it did fit her very well. But it, it still, it, I kept being like, ooh, you shouldn't wear a vest with nothing under it. Right. <laughs> and like, if you're going to dress up, like your parents are coming over for dinner, you're trying to impress them. Do you pick a vest as your shirt? Is that what you pick? I don't know. So at 7.22, right after Chandler says, kind of puts that pillow thing into perspective, talking about Ross's, um, you know, having a baby. There's a clear shot of a, either a crew member's shirt or something off camera. Like you see, you see the beam next to the door, to the left of the door. And there's like this green sleeve or something from off camera that's not supposed to be there on the left side of the screen. And it's very quick, oh. but it was, it's like, it's right along the side of the screen. So check it out. That's like catching a boom in the shot. That's great. Yeah. I don't know what it is, but it looked maybe like a shirt to someone too close to camera because it's very fuzzy and out of focus. Wow. Good catch. So Look at you yeah. go. <laughs> at 736, there's another great Phoebe moment where um, she just says what she's thinking regardless of how appropriate it is. And they're talking about Carol and all these things. And she goes, she's so great. I miss her. I miss her. <laughs> and Ross is like clearly struggling in so much pain. And she's like, God, that girl's so great. I, ju I just miss her so much. I know. Oh, Phoebe. Uh, so much love for Phoebe. And uh, like after Ross comes in at eight minutes, zero seconds, Monica's sitting next to him on the couch, of course. Like, But I felt like the rubbing of his back was a little less icky and more appropriate this time. Yeah. And she was clearly just like kind of guiding him. Like he was directionless and she was just kind of being, being the, the mover to get him to sit down. Yeah. It seemed less like uncomfortable and more like, okay, like 
if my sister was hurting, I would rub her back or like, you know, I don't know. It was the most appropriate thing I'd seen them do <laughs> so far. <laughs> That's true. At 8.13, Joey begins eating the lasagna and everyone just stares at him and he's like, this is still ruined, right? Yay, Joey. I love, I love, so this is the first time we see his like willingness to eat anything. So, so I know that we said he's kind of a food connoisseur, but also he's all like a garbage disposal. He's only a connoisseur in the way of like, he eats food. Like he's a connoisseur of like protecting and respecting food, but it does not matter what the food is. Yeah, he's a connoisseur of quantity, <laughs> not quality. Right. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> so our next scene, um, we meet the Gellers. Yay. I have to say that Jack and Judy Geller might be my favorite parents on any sitcom ever, hands down. Old. I love them so much. And the casting is so good. So very good. They, that's a bold statement. I like it. I'm partial to Phil Dunphy on Modern Family, but these guys might be a close second for me. <laughs> but like the two of them together, yeah. like as a unit, I feel just the way that they play off of each other and they complement each other. I feel like... Um, Jack is so well-meaning and loving, but also like a little like backhanded compliments. Inappropriate when he's trying to be like sweet. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then Judy is just the best passive aggressive mother. Yes. Those writers write her so well the little biting comments that like, well, and then the, how she delivers it, like with a giant smile on her face. Yeah. Just through like gritted teeth almost just like, wow. Yeah. It's so, it's just so delightful to see the back and forth and how that they like play off of each other. And then like, I'll get into it a little later when like Monica and Ross play off of them playing off of each other. It's just like they're the whole family chemistry is so tight and good it is a believable family dynamic too I think like they wrote it with like it's not it like has a lot of problems it's not perfect like they clearly favor Ross so much and like they treat Monica so badly but they love her so much also it's just so it's really well done you really get to see like the very specific way their parents have screwed them up yes both of them and yes. how, we, how we each have their own set of issues because of it. Yeah. Do you want to hear some facts about the actors who played Jack and Judy? Absolutely. Judy is played by Christina Pickles, which I just love that name so very much. So good. She is actually British, which I didn't know. I didn't know that either. It, and when I thought, it, when I learned that and then heard her say some things, I could you could kind of tell that maybe she was hiding an accent, but I mean, I would have never guessed ever. So the only time I have ever seen her, she was Julia's mom on The Wedding Singer. Mm -hmm. um, and she had the same kind of accent, like kind of an accent, but not really. Mm -hmm. um, but that's the only thing I've ever seen her in. Yeah. So she is originally from a place called Halifax, West Yorkshire. 
those all those British towns with those big names. Um, her dad was the mayor of Halifax and was a liberal politician. And from what I could tell, Pickles is her maiden name and she has been married twice, but I think she kept her maiden name. And I, if my last name was Pickles, I would have kept it too. That's such a good stage name. Yeah, it's so good. And I at first was like, oh, is, is it a stage? Like I thought maybe I did some research into that too, but her family, like her dad, the politician was also a Pickles. So um, she <laughs> she started performing on Broadway in 1964 and was in a bunch of productions, um, including Hamlet and Sherlock Holmes. And in 1989, she became a US citizen. And she did play the mom in Wedding Singer. She also played Caroline Montague in the 1996 version of Romeo and Juliet with Claire Danes. Wait, wait, are you serious? She plays Leo's mom. Okay, I'm gonna have to go back. And rewatch that, which would also be just delightful to do. Can we talk about how obsessed with that movie I was? Um, that was like our, the best angsty. Oh, yes. Also, it was Leo. I mean, it was everything. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that was Leo at like his very finest. Oh, man. I had the poster in my room. I had soundtrack. Oh, God. I haven't seen it in a long time. Apparently she plays the mom, so who knew? Okay. Um, she is also in 19 episodes of Friends as Judy Geller. One of my favorite Judy moments is later on when she's watching Emma at the bar for Rachel, and she's just like, oh, she's on her third glass of Chardonnay. <laughs> the sock, Judy, pick up the sock. Maybe screaming at her. And she's just waving. Oh, they're so, they're so great. So good. Okay, so Jack was playing by Elliot Gould, who, fun fact, was married to Barbara Streisand from 1963 to 1971. Oh my goodness. I know, big time. Yeah. Okay, so what else, what else was he in? Okay, so he was also, he also acted on Broadway. Um, he was in a movie called Bob and Carol and Ted and Alice in September 69. He apparently earned a, an Academy Award nomination for Best Supporting Actor for that movie. And a month after it came out, he said, I'm the hottest thing in Hollywood right now. I've never heard of any of those things. Neither. <laughs> but I absolutely love him in this. So good. In 1971, he was the first Hollywood star to appear in an Ingmar Bergman film. Who is that? I, I love that you called me on who is that because I was like everyone knows this name but I didn't do any research. I was like yeah that person <laughs> I've heard the name I don't know anything about her but I, I was truly asking <laughs> not for a friend but for myself <laughs> he like had to go to Sweden to do this movie and I guess it was a big deal who cares in two <laughs> um Okay, in 2000, he has an uncredited role playing himself in Just Shoot Me, and he also played himself in The Simpsons in 2003. Oh, I love I loved when The Simpsons make characters of people. <laughs> I feel like if you've made it on The Simpsons, I mean, everybody thinks if you've made it on The Simpsons, you've made it. Like, yes. So, yes. Especially as yourself. Yeah, right? But I thought it was so funny he had an uncredited role playing himself in Just Shoot Me. Like, that's interesting. Yeah. What, 
Mark. What does that mean? <laughs> he is the hottest thing. I mean. <laughs> so. Um, okay, so he was in the MASH film as well as the 1979 Muppet movie. Uh, also, Naked Gun 33 and a third, American History X, and you'll know this, Oceans 11, Oceans 12, Oceans 13, and Oceans 8. <gasps> oh, he was in the Oceans movie. Big glasses. Yep. Yeah. Uh, okay. I don't remember him in American History X. I don't think I've seen it. We were just talking about that movie the other day. I don't think I've seen it. Is that the one about Nazis? Um, it's the one, uh, yeah, about Nazis. And they like, that's where I learned, learned about like how to curb somebody. Like you put your teeth curb on a curb stuff. and kick their heads. Oh, yeah. yeah. No thanks. Like it was gross. <laughs> so Elliot Gould stars in 20 episodes of Friends as Jack Geller, which is two more than Miss Pickles is in. Oh. So I was trying to think without looking it up, which ones he was in without her. I have a guess, at least for one. Okay, one is the one where he gives Monica's Porsche. Yeah, that's the only one I could think of. <laughs> okay, that was the one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I couldn't think of the other one, but we'll have to watch for it. Okay, so the very first moment or the very first dialogue between Monica and Judy when she says something about her cooking and she's like, is there curry in this? And she, they're like, what's that curry taste? And she's like, it's curry. The way she says, <laughs> made me literally laugh out loud. Like I've seen it so many times, but every time, like she's heard that like tight-lipped smile. <sighs> It's so, so, so infuriatingly good. Totally. And actually the way that you reenact that made me think of a really good Monica moment later when she's eating Rachel's trifle and she goes, mm, and rubs her belly. Like she's <laughs> imitating her mom. Good catch. That's totally the same, the same cadence. <laughs> mm. um, speaking of food, at 9.53, their spaghetti that they are eating is so dry. <laughs> There's like no sauce on it. It's like a tablespoon of sauce on top of a plate-sized pile of noodles. Like, how, She's a chef. I don't understand what's going on. I don't know, but it, it makes me just even love Judy's comment <laughs> even more when she's like, oh, we're having spaghetti. That's easy and then like get does a little side drink of her wine <laughs> so good she also fluffs the we see her fluff the pillow Monica yes. fluff before and yes. Monica's just like her face is so good and speaking of them loving Ross more when they're talking about the the girls like when she, she and Jack are talking about how the she says they all had a thing for him um, and she was just like like saying it's so proud. The, just take a look at Jack's look to Judy. It's like this like all-knowing flirty side, like, oh, mm-hmm. Yeah, our son. 
we yeah that's good like it's so it's so funny they have like a little moment where it's like I agree they all did love how like kind of grossly dirty they're like kind of dirty and flirty yeah. and it's so uncomfortable it's so good yeah at uh 10 Jack calls Monica our little harmonica and that's so cute oh. and then it's accompanied by a complete total like backhanded compliment like tears her down (laughs) yes he's such he's so her champion all the time he's like saying how proud of her he is Mm -hmm. but the jabs of like having no friends and being fat and doing her puzzles and not needing to have it all (laughs) it's like oh like you could see her just like slowly just like die inside (laughs) Oh god. So okay, so speaking of like the harmonica nickname, which comes up frequently, mm-hmm. like they definitely reference it in multiple episodes. Did you have a nickname growing up? Um, my cousin called me Serafina a couple times and I didn't like it at all. So then she called me that a lot, but I didn't have any others. Oh, that's not true. Actually, um so in Dutch, because my grandmother is Dutch, um if you call, if you put like a ch at the end of something, it means little. So my mom would sometimes call me Sarah Ch. Like, oh, that's really sweet. Yeah. What about you? So I don't, I don't know where this came from, but like <laughs> my whole extended family on my dad's side, like my aunts and uncles, my grandma, grandpa, they all called me Masher. And it was from like, like, so everyone on my, on my, on that side of my family has a nickname like they don't call each other by their by real names every single person has like a reference so I think it was one of those kind of like Michael Scott Scott like de-evolutions of nicknames where it was like Ash Ash Mash oh that's like Masher and then like it would sometimes be like hey Mash Potatoes (laughs) But it was normally just like masher was was my was my thing, and I I don't know I, like I that's how I was known by my whole family. That's so cute, little masher. Yeah, but my like my dad was Danny Boy Dan. Um, my mom Linda was Linda Binda or Binda. Um, my sister Whitney, who was born on Pearl Harbor Day, they just called her Bomber. Wow, bold. <laughs> yeah. Um, like my my aunt Jean was Jean Bean or Bean. My grandmother was is Crone. Like they just, like, just no one has real names in my family. So um the fact that she that like the harmonica thing comes up often is just it very it very much hit home. Yeah. Because he's just like our little harmonica. Like I could see them being very much fitting in with my family. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. And um, we also get to see, like we were saying before, the really great sibling bickering here when they're sitting at the table. Monica has her elbow on Ross's hand on the table, and she's just like, "Come on, don't you have any news? Like, don't you want to tell them anything?" And you can see his face just like slowly, like the color draining out of his face. Like she's mashing into his hand. 
it's again just so good when they're pushing each other's buttons it is so realistic so, like I can see you and your sister doing that to each other yes oh my god when she like leans over and it's just like when are you gonna bring up the whole baby lesbian thing because I think it would really take some heat off of me like I that was such a perfect glimpse on how siblings act behind closed doors like in those tense family situations of like I need you to fix this because I'm dying. <laughs> yeah, it's so good. And they do it so often later, like when Monica's like trying to, what, what is the episode where they admit, they like yell things at their parents about each other. It keeps escalating and escalating, escalating. Yes. <laughs> Hurricane whatever didn't break the porch swing, Monica did. <laughs> oh, they're just so good. And then Judy does such an amazing job. Like Russ spills his guts and she turns to Monica and she goes, and you knew about this? <laughs> no reaction to Russ at all. Yeah. Can I, okay, yes. Can I just please lay out the fact that the way that he says his news is so boom, 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 fact, fact, fact. It's just like, well, Carol's a lesbian She's living with a woman named Susan. She's pregnant with my child and she and Susan are going to raise the baby. <laughs> it's just like, throw that at you. And then Judy turning to Monica and, and, and blaming her. Oh my God, it's so priceless. She does such a great job of being the disapproving mom while also not being completely hateable. Like I still didn't totally hate her. I was just like, I mean, it's a comedy. It was funny, but she's just not like t totally hateable. I don't know. There's just something mommy about her that you like. She acts very like sugar sweet, like love loving mm -hmm. while giving those little <laughs> passive aggressive comments. It's like, oh, you're doing that? I didn't know that. Like, <laughs> she's not mean. Yeah. It's, it's so, it's so overly passive aggressive that you're just like, and she has it with a smile on her face, like the whole time. It's so not subtle either. It's like so clear and obvious that you almost have to just be like, this is so unbelievable that I'm almost not hurt by it because what, what? Are you kidding? Yes. <laughs> oh my God. I love when she turns and says, and you knew about this. It's like Monica, Monica can't win. No. Yeah, she can't. She's like, Judy is so devastated that Monica would keep a secret from her rather than like Ross's life has completely fallen apart. About her precious baby, <laughs> the prince. <laughs> oh my God. So we, we then go to the coffee shop where Phoebe reveals she has an identical twin sister. Yeah. So we do find out something about her this time. So I have some background on this. Okay. Um, and we, we meant, I think we mentioned it last, last podcast, but so, and I, I forgot that Mad About You preceded friends in the lineup. Oh, it was at eight. Yes. It was at eight o'clock. So essentially they, NBC had two back-to-back -back shows featuring the same actress. So they really had to explain 
somehow how how this was happening because it it didn't make sense and they both existed in New York. Mm -hmm. So after they submitted the pilot to NBC, the producers decided that they would need an explanation. So that's how they writ they wrote in Phoebe as a twin, like having a twin Ursula, which you find out later in the series who Ursula is and 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 her, her whole her whole story and tied him out about you so i loved that phoebe was like oh she's a high-powered career type and they're like what she do <laughs> she's a waitress <laughs> i have expected them to like cut over to rachel yeah but they didn't yeah <laughs> but speaking of like so the coffee shop is empty and i assume that rachel is like closing things down because it's empty so i'm assuming it's closed did you notice when it cut to the outside, like the intro to that scene was the outside window of the coffee shop where it was seemingly packed. <laughs> there must've been at least eight to 10 other people besides the friends in there. And then it cuts to them and they're like lounging all over the place in the dark. I have some big issues with the way that the lounging is going on because, okay, Joey has his ass sitting up on the counter. Like, if Rachel's closing up, she would have had to wipe down the counter. Now he's sitting up there. And Chandler is in the most bizarre position I have ever seen in my life. There are chair chairs, couches, like comfy things all over. He has taken a pillow and propped it up on the counter and has his head on the pillow against the counter. His body is stretched out like, you know, in a T, like making a shape of a T against the counter. Is it, is it? on a stool like is his back on a stool and his feet up on the couch so that was my best guess was that he's either on like two bar stools or there's like one under his butt and his like torso is just hanging in the air and then his feet are on the on the couch it looks insanely uncomfortable and like unsanitary and just like I also know that you know when we used to work at a unnamed candy store in high school like we would have our friends come in while we were closing up shop they're clearly just sprawling about and she finally does kick them out but you would think that if she's a new employee she wouldn't have people just like lounging around unless they knew the owners like I wonder if they have special privileges to just like oh maybe because they remember the one with the flashbacks they this was a bar before it was a coffee shop and they frequented that bar so they were there from the very beginning yeah so that was my other explanation was like they must just know the owner they're just like cool with them hanging out yeah but then ross leans over and kisses monica on the head and says must pee i <laughs> hate that line can i can I tell you, did you notice that like one person in the audience gave like a weird little polite <laughs> laugh and it was so awkward? I didn't like that. I did not either. And I posed this scene to court because he has a younger sister. And I was like, okay, tell me, here's the situation. Would you lean over and ever kiss your sister on the forehead and then say must pee? And his reaction was, God, weird, huh? <laughs> I'm assuming not a normal brother sister relationship. No. Although so I think that I think that what must have happened was the writers needed to give him an excuse mm -hmm. that was obvious to leave the room so that he would still be there when he came back out everyone else was gone and he'd be alone with Rachel. Like 
the excuse is still there. You can go pee. You don't need to kiss your sister while you're talking about going pee. Also, you don't have to say it. You right. can just, just you can just say like, I'll be right back or something yeah. like that's like, gross. There's no kissing needed of anybody. <laughs> um, so so Ross like goes in the bathroom and Rachel's like, Okay, you guys have to get out, I gotta close up. Um, so at least she does kick them out. But at 1227, Chandler and Monica are walking out and they have their arms around each other. Yes, I noticed that too. That's some foreshadowing. I mean, I have guy friends that I probably would have done that with, but it's just a little like. Yeah. Oh, oh cute. <laughs> and when Ross comes back out of the bathroom, everyone's gone, the lights are off. And he does such another like physical comedy. He just does such a great pause like for a, a beat too long before he starts talking he just kind of stands there and it's like reacting kind of like looks around like real like taking it all in yeah and like acting without speaking is so hard it seems like and he does such a good job of just reacting yes I think that's key the reacting mm-hmm. like he he's not afraid to take a moment of space yeah and just like be awkward yeah yeah because it's so real yeah yeah speaking of so real he then sweeps for rachel just like he was making her coffee in the last one <laughs> he says to her she's talking about uh going to give the ring back and he's like try not to look too terrific i know it'll be hard <laughs> okay so this is my this is where Rachel for me wins worst friend because of this where he where like selfish Rachel comes out and he's like oh can I do you need do you need a hand and she's like sure and like sits down and puts her feet up I was just like so rude yeah Rachel like why he's offering to help you and you're just like oh I'm gonna sit down yeah and he looks at her so desperately and so longingly and he pauses again for just a beat too long and it like physically I could like feel it in my gut it like made me think of the way I used to maybe both of us used to longingly like pine away after guys in high school and yeah (laughs) probably do homework for people that we shouldn't have (laughs) wait was that just me Oh, oh god and then I mean this is something I probably would have done too but he puts his he has his hands like resting on the couch and she like yes. rolls her head over on it and I wrote down like Rachel totally rebounds with Ross's hand which totally ruins the moment like she's just like rubbing all over his hand okay yes I so when he's like stuck there and he doesn't move it and he's just like oh she's like loving my hand right now just background info like I while this whole moment was happening I was like oh that dragonfly lamp to the right of the couch is super cute I I want that (laughs) you were just so comfortable with this kind of exchange because it's how you we used to be that you didn't even have to yeah you could you could notice what was going on you were like oh I I was like oh I'd totally be stuck there with my hand I wouldn't move either because I'd be like oh god oh god oh god what do I do what do I do I do he's touching my his cheek to my hand Um, go home and write me an eight-page email about it a bunch of quotes (laughs) so many so many like angsty music quotes from the Lilith Fair lineup oh yes um (laughs) 
But okay, I have a problem. Speaking of the the sweeping, do you notice what he's sweeping? It's not just the floor. He sweeps the coffee table and the furniture with the dirty broom. If you have ever worked in a coffee shop, cafe, any kind of food service, or anywhere where people come from the outside, you don't put that same broom on the places where people sit or eat. Even if you live in a house, you don't sweep your furniture uh, the room. <laughs> True. But I mean, it's even more gross because yeah. of like the, the, the like grime yeah. that attaches to the broom. <laughs> it was, it, I was just like, no, don't do it. It was, it was gross. It's so funny because I was watching him being like, oh, Ross is being so awkward. He's like feeling so awkward that he's not paying attention to him, like sweeping random things. He's just like sweeping because he doesn't know what to do because he feels so awkward. I didn't even notice how disgusting it was. It was like, oh, so it's so funny how awkward he is. And they're going to eat there tomorrow. Yeah, they are. They're going to eat and drink coffee there. So gross. Chandler's probably going to have four cookies again, like last time. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. Okay, so we leave the coffee shop and we jump to the doctor's office where we get to meet Susan. I love her. Same. So good. Um, Did you notice the first thing I noticed with this doctor's office was how many baby models in utero must a room have? (laughs) I counted four, including the twins that were on the side. So like the twins equal one. And that was before it cut to the like far corner high counter where there was also like the model of a full, of a full like female pelvis. Mm-hmm. So I'm just like, I've never had that many, like I've been to many doctor's offices. I've had two babies. I've never seen any models. There's only been like one vague poster on the wall. <laughs> it's just a poster of a woman's body with question marks over the middle. Like, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Who knows about this? This might happen. (laughs) No one's sure about this stuff. We'll see. (laughs) Uh, Anyway, I just thought that it was a little overkill with the amount of of the number of models. A lot of models. I have some fun facts about uh, the actress who plays Susan, if you're ready. Oh, lay it on me. I love her. Love her. So Susan Bunch is played by Jessica Hecht. I hope I'm saying that right. H-E-C-H. T. Hecht. Um, Sounds right. Yeah, I think so. Like if it was Dutch, it'd be like Hecht, but (laughs) everything in Dutch sounds gross. Um, Her parents were a psychotherapist and a physicist. Like, what? Yeah. Um, And she grew up in a secular Jewish household. Um, And this blew my mind. She played Gretchen Schwartz on Breaking Bad, who is the wife of Walt's former business partner, Elliot, the like really rich couple. Oh my gosh. He'd started his first business with that Elliot guy. I like, it didn't even occur to me that that's Susan who plays the wife. Nope. Uh, She also was in The Single Guy, Bored to Death, Jessica Jones, The Sinner and Succession. And... This fun fact I found that both she and Elliot Gould, who plays Jack Geller, were in Kicking and Screaming together with Will Ferrell. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Oh, Friends Reunion. (laughs) 
Uh, she also currently runs the Campfire Project, which is a theater-based wellness program that creates plays in refugee camps. Lastly, um, she appears in 12 episodes of Friends as Susan. Only 12? I thought that there would be more. Yeah, just 12. She's great huh. in every single one. Uh, I have an issue with Susan getting Carol a juice box in this scene. Like, what? why? Where, where would you even get that at the doctor's office? So it makes me, so I, it, it makes me think that they're actually in a hospital and not a doctor's office. Maybe that was a thing that you went to the hospital for your checkups. I don't know. But also like Carol isn't confined to a bed. She's not an invalid. Like she's not even showing. So like why, how long have they even been at this doctor's office that she's so thirsty she can't wait for a juice box? an apple juice <laughs> it's just so funny like of all the of all the reasons for her to have left the room like just have her have gone to the bathroom like yeah I don't know that was that was really weird and even if they were at a hospital like is there a vending machine that carries juice boxes <laughs> in the 90s probably, probably. <laughs> yes and at 15 30 we get to see more Ross physical comedy oh. playing with the speculum as a duck Okay, so I have I have something to say about this. So when he's like quacking, <laughs> it's so funny. <laughs> because I remember like going in for my first exam and like thinking the same thing, like, oh, it looks like a duck. What it's what's that gonna do? <laughs> but then so then Carol very incorrectly, by the way, says, Ross, that opens my cervix. No, it doesn't. That's not what a speculum does. I'm sorry. If you want to know, look it up. But it doesn't, it doesn't touch the cervix. So um, I had a problem with that. It was, that was not, that was a little miseducation there. So a little background stuff in the doctor's office. Did you know the color of the cupboards? No. Just the Pepto-Bismol pink? <laughs> it's like the light fixtures, the cupboards. It is It is just gross. It's like a sad color. Very sad. It's, it's like this muted pink. Ugh. It reminds me of the colors that a lot of like retro 80s toilets and sinks were yeah but it was it was everywhere just, when you go back and just take a look <laughs> might not want to know. no <laughs> so now we transition to Rachel walking into a dentist office at 1545 and like immediately off the bat no dentist would just like let some person walk into the I went to the dentist today and <laughs> How would that just, how would that ever be okay? It was, it's so unprofessional. Yeah. And the door is shut. Like, and there's HIPAA. I mean, maybe HIPAA wasn't a thing yet, maybe, but. I think it was. Yeah. I, <laughs> I think HIPAA has been around for a while. It's just so bizarre. He's like, yeah, come on in. I'm going to work on him for a while. And the kid's like, whoa. And I have to say that the kid that they got to play Robbie is so funny. Yeah. He's great. His name is Christopher Miranda, and he actually appears in Friends as an orthodontist patient twice. So he's in this episode, and he comes back again in episode 20 as an orthodontist patient again. 
And this kid has been in Wings, Man of the House, Married with Children, Party of Five, and Seventh Heaven. Wait, he was in Married with Children? Not as like the main kid. I feel like that was earlier than Friends. Like how old was he? Good question. I'm curious when, when did Married with Children air? Oh, 87 to 97. Oh, so there's some overlap. Yeah. Okay. Anyway. That kid is great. Like, he has some great reactions, and just his line delivery, he's so professional (laughs) and funny. So funny. I think he might be the, I mean, he is the funniest thing in that scene. He steals the whole thing. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And we also meet Barry Farber, who was previously Barry Finkel in the pilot. Mm -hmm. And they decided to change it. Yeah. On a whim. I could not find any reason why. I looked again yep. this episode and I still can't find any information on why that changed at all. Like, I mean, it seems like a non-starter. Like you don't need, who cares what his last name is? Like, it doesn't matter. So yeah. who knows? Um, he's played by Mitchell Whitfield, who comes as in six episodes of Friends as Barry. He was also in Murder, She Wrote, My Cousin Vinny, Dharma and Greg, and in Curb Your Enthusiasm, he played Becky's fiance, and Becky is played by D from It's Always Sunny. Yeah. I, I need to go back and watch that, because Barry and Becky, or Becky, D and Barry seems like a great combo. <laughs> Absolutely. I was going to say, like, I bet they were just some, like, really good comedic genius there he's also done a ton of voiceover work for animated series oh he did angry beavers did you ever watch that no a fabulous show it was um it was on nickelodeon and it was like two beavers that it was so 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 funny he also played donatello or voiced donatello in the teenage mutant ninja turtles 2007 version and the video game and he's currently doing some like very little kid shows that you might know, like Doc McStuffins, Sophia the First. <gasps> Doc McStuffins and Sophia the First. I know those shows. He's currently on Vampirina. Do you guys, do you know that one? Yes, we also watched yeah. that. <laughs> <laughs> I figured you'd know this. And okay, if you have time, this guy has his own website and dude, you should go look at it. It is MitchellWhitfield.com. The photo on that website looks bananas different from him will just look nothing like him i was shocked i was like is this the same person so if you have a chance mitchellwhitfield.com i'm gonna look it up right now w-h-i-t-f-i-e-l-d and mitchell has two l's holy what that is not him right oh my god it says on the right like his real content has friends on it no it is oh my goodness I can, no, I can totally see it's him. It's just, oh, it makes me feel old. I know, I know. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Well, I'm glad I did that. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> now I'm going to wonder who he is in Doc McStuffins. Yeah, you have to find out. Quick background information. If you thought the pink walls at the gyno was bad, check out the spearmint walls at the <laughs> dentist. I feel like it's such a like weird cliche of like pink vagina, (laughs) spearmint, gum, gums, teeth. Also, is Barry a dentist or an orthodontist? Right. Because he talks about being an orthodontist, but like 
it seems very much dentisty, like with spitting and like the chair. I, I don't know. I went to the orthodontist a lot. It didn't seem as clinical. Yeah. Like, but it was a little ambiguous. I guess, do you also have to go to the regular dentist? I can't remember when I had braces, but you probably still have to get cleanings and stuff while you have braces or no? Oh yeah. But, but it, I think that he specifically says he's an orthodontist, okay, which is different. Right. So I don't know that I just, I'm, it's something that I want to look out for later. Yeah. <laughs> you have, um, five more episodes to notice. So, oh, good. Okay. At 16 minutes, 10 seconds. And when he, when Rachel goes and meets Barry, he's quickly called away out of the office. So she has like this moment with Robbie. Um, but the nurse on the loudspeaker is saying, Jason Greenspan is gagging <laughs> on the intercom, which I thought was really funny until I did a little bit of a dive into like the name Jason Greenspan is Jason Alexander's real name who played um, George on Seinfeld. That's his actual real name. So it was a little homage to Seinfeld. And you know what's amazing about that is he comes on an episode of Friends when yes. he's working at the call center. Or no, oh my he, gosh, as the depressed guy? Yeah. Earl. <laughs> yes. That's incredible. Good catch. This one we get to hear about, like, so this references two other NBC shows then. We have, like, Ursula. I know. And we have Seinfeld. Wow. Yeah. Yep. And if we can get an ER reference, that would just be the whole Thursday night. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) (laughs) So then we go back at 1630. We cut back to the OBGYN doctor's office, um, which is another amazing prop moment for David Schwimmer when he just touches that baby in the model and it goes flying out of that womb. I don't even know how he did that, but it just like the way it flies out and he like bounces it and fumbles it and then puts the, then he can't put it back. Oh, it just so amazing. I feel like I'm having like a much better appreciation for all those things this time around. Like I always love Ross, but just those little things that like, it's so fast that's, you know, it's just like a few seconds, but yeah, he just is really sticking out. I think he's my favorite this episode. (laughs) (laughs) And also they have a, Ross and Carol and Susan all have this like bickering contest about naming the baby. And it stayed pretty consistent for when Ross and Rachel have to name their baby and they get all the vetoes later. Seems like the precursor to that, which I enjoyed. Yeah. And also like, I just have to say the name Minnie. No. No, but before they get into the naming, I think Ross mentions like the important decisions, like how are they going to navigate how the important decisions need to be made? And for some reason, they focus quickly on the name piece. But for me, that opened up so many more, (laughs) more boxes (laughs) that need to be addressed clearly if they are going to co-raise this child carol says like give me a for instance yeah and it made me really dislike her 
And not just like Carol, but just like that actress. Because I could think of a zillion things that you would need to be able to collaborate on to be consistent for raising a child. Right. How to parent, how to discipline, how are you going to sleep train? What schools are they going to go to? How does custody work? Like there's a zillion things that need to be talked about. And they're just like, oh, the name. <laughs> I'm like, you guys have a lot to learn. Yeah. And seemingly by the size of the baby and the ultrasound, like they're running out of time. <laughs> Maybe like full term. <laughs> but we'll get to that. Yes, it's going to have to be quick, you guys. So anyway, that gave me a lot of stress. I'm like, they're going to have to work some stuff out. Yeah, like once it's born, how, when can Ross have it? Or like, will he be at the birth? Like, I don't know. Can he have a juice box too? Like, there's a lot more things we can do. <laughs> oh. When we go back to the dentist office again, or orthodontist office, very <laughs> Rachel's like talking about how he got lenses. And she's like, but you hate sticking your finger in your eye. And he's like, I'm willing to do it for Mindy. He says it like it's true love. Like I would stick my finger in my eye for her. But like, he's very clearly rebounding. Yes. Also, she's there as part of the wedding party. Yeah, and don't we find out later, because they do get married, Barry and Mindy later, but then they get divorced, right? Like, I think she, Mindy cheats on him or something. Oh my gosh, I don't remember. That's a good point. I think it falls apart. So I was like, oh God, yeah. this is clearly a rebound that goes on for way too long. And then I just feel like that reasoning, was, I would stick my finger in my eye for her. Like, ew, nobody wants that. At the same time, Rachel's been standing there with him for a few minutes and she just noticed that he has like more hair. I'm like, there's a like weird moment where she like grabs his head and was like, you got plugs. I'm like, you've been staring at him for a couple minutes at least. Right. And like, she seemed very nervous about this event. And when we saw her originally getting ready for this event, she was wearing this like baby doll shirt and this sexy skirt and now she's wearing overalls wouldn't you want like when you go see an ex you want to be like look as good as you can to be like oh look I'm doing great well Ross did tell her don't look too good so maybe she took that to heart yeah it's true Aww. so she gives the ring back and he's like oh I'm glad you did and it's like nah who cares and then that kid Robbie goes hello <laughs> <laughs> I love how he breaks the tension, breaks the moment. It's so good. So, so good. And then we go back to the doctor's office. And I have a lot to say about this event. I'm just going to have a little bit of a rant because first, first the doctor comes in. And um, quick fact about her, Dr. Oberman, played by Joan Pringle. I just love that we have a Pringle and a pickle in this episode. Oh, Two of my favorite things. Three of things. Miss um, Pringle is best known for her roles in The White Shadow and General Hospital. She was also in The Waltons, Sanford and Son, The Bionic Woman, and Kojak. That's an interesting like, rap sheet. Yeah. <laughs> okay. I cool. know. Apparently, she's really well known, though, for The White Shadow and General Hospital. So I think those were like her main gigs, but... 
Um, those are pretty big deal shows for a while. Okay, but at from 2036 to 2053, this like 17 second chunk of time, I have a lot to say about because this doctor from 17 seconds, she has walked into the room and we hear the heartbeat. That is how long it takes from her to enter the room till we hear the heartbeat. We have a friend who is a friend spurt, um, who is an ultrasound tech. She'll be on at some point. And I reached out to her and I was like, I have some questions about how long it takes you to when you have the person lie down because from it's nine seconds from when she says lie back to Carol to when we hear the heartbeat. And I'm like, could you do an ultrasound in nine seconds to where we hear the heartbeat? And she went and watched the clip and she said, here's her direct quote. Ultrasound thing she's using does not pick up heartbeats. It just shows pictures of what's inside. You would have to turn on a special Doppler mode and place it right on the heartbeat to hear anything. And if she's only three months along, that baby is far too big. It looks like he's at least five months along. And so I asked her, like, so is nine seconds feasible? And she said, it's feasible only if you're using the right tool and she's not. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So I, I have I have something to say about this too. As having gone through the process this process twice, um the six week or 15 week anything before the 20 week is not that kind of ultrasound. That is a vaginal ultrasound that you happens that you listen to the heartbeat on. It is not the thing that where they rub the jelly on your belly and move it around. Um, so clearly, and, and the pictures match that the pictures look like at least a 20 week ultrasound where you can actually tell the sex of the baby. Yeah, a baby had like fingers and a massive head. It was yeah. a baby. Yeah, it was not the tiny. So the whole thing, I was like, nope. Um, but there was also a point where the doctor, like you hear the heartbeat going on the monitor. The doctor lifts the, 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 the ultrasound off of the belly for a second and the heartbeat continues. Just <laughs> She also, when she lifts it up off, you can see that she is holding a bottle, like a squeeze bottle that would be for jelly, but Carol's stomach is totally dry. There's nothing there. <laughs> and also totally flat. There is no bump. There's nothing. Which would, which would work with a six-week, eight-week, even 10-week, maybe even 12-week ultrasound. Yeah. But that's not the kind of ultrasound that you get at those stages. So so if she was really going in for like a six, eight, 12 week ultrasound, like she wouldn't have told Ross yet, right? Like that's danger time. You don't, you're not going to like spread that news until 12 weeks, right? Well, normally, but I mean, I'm, I'm assuming good intent because he's the father yeah. that, you know, she's had the pregnancy test. She's maybe even gone in for the first one yet to like confirm. I don't know. Um, I don't know, but definitely that, that picture did not match what was actually happening in there. Yeah. I was like, this is the best doctor I think I've ever seen. Like, how do I get an appointment with this doctor? Because <laughs> she's magic. She can open my cervix with the thing, <laughs> find a heartbeat that doesn't exist yet. So Stuff. <laughs> Without having to do the invasive one. 
I have to say that like Ross can be so annoying and needy and whiny and reactive and jealous, but like most of the time he actually is a good guy. Like he's a good yes, heart. Absolutely. And the moment when they all hold hands and look at the monitor was pretty sweet. I know. And they're like, hands are all like, like on top of one another and like intertwined. It's so sweet. Yeah. And also like the, the banter between Susan and Ross during the whole baby naming thing. I love anytime Susan and Ross get to interact. It's so biting and catty. Yeah. Um, but like, I love that Susan just like, doesn't back down. She's like, just as just, she like, like meets him where he is and they Mm -hmm. just like battle. It's so good. Yeah. She holds her own very well. Like he is so dismissive of her. Like you have no part in this. Like you don't have sperm. Like you're not pregnant. Like you have no part. And she's like, I'm part of this. This is my baby too. Yeah. She gives it right back to him. And that, but then, so we, they're like all holding hands. It's very sweet. And then we go to the last scene or like the outro scene. I don't know what it's called, but we're watching the ultrasound on the TV in their apartment. And I did a little bit of a deep dive being like, was there a way that they gave you a video of your ultrasound on VHS tape? (laughs) I was wondering that same thing. Well, what I found, I, the best I could tell was that it did seem like sonograms at some point did involve a VHS player and so as part of the like rigging up of it and so I guess it's possible that it could have they could have given you a tape I don't know I guess it tracks but I okay (laughs) I feel like I need to ask my mom although that was in the 80s (laughs) did you get a video no no you get a picture I feel like it would be easier to get a video now nowadays I got just a whole like slew of like pictures that basically look like polaroids all to attach together right and we live in like a very digital era you can you can pay you can go to specific ultrasounds to like the 3d ultrasounds to to pay to pay for those and i was like ah, nah no thanks those are creepy i'll see my baby soon enough <laughs> real time so sentimental can you tell no I love them I do but but I feel like that's a lot of effort to like put that however they need trans transpose it onto a VHS and sponsor it (laughs) transponsor and like how many times are you really gonna watch that the one like are you gonna watch it over and over like maybe Ross Ross probably would but yeah um speaking of Ross Again, creepy Ross on the couch with Monica, like his arm around her being like, oh, you're going to be an aunt and being all like kissy lovey-dovey. I'm like, She cries and like buries her face in him. Okay, so I do, I do want to say that I feel like this is like the first insight into Monica's little like wanting to be a mom her like baby craziness Mm -hmm. that continues like we get little glimpses of that throughout the series Mm -hmm. um and this is like her first 
little breakdown of emotion about babies. Yeah. It's kind of, it's kind of sweet, but Ross, like the Ross <sighs> thing makes it weird. Really just ruins it. <laughs> and, and also then we get to see a glimpse of Rachel, like actually standing up for herself. Finally, mm-hmm. like she's leaving Mindy this message and then she takes a couple cheap shots. Oh, she says, she says, I hope. <laughs> and if you ever get married and have kids, well, I hope your baby has his old hairline and your old nose. Yes. I love that we have all these like old nose, old nose jokes throughout the whole series. Um, Rachel or like Jennifer Aniston in real life had a nose job in her like younger year, 20s. Um, and they write it in the show and they keep like bringing up nose jobs. So I have a fun fact about this also. So later in the series, when we meet Mindy, and I didn't realize this, but she was played by Jennifer Grey, who played Baby in Dirty Dancing. She was? Yes. Jennifer Grey reportedly said that her career was ruined after she had a nose job after Dirty Dancing and like was then unrecognizable from her former roles. And I I thought that that was a really good just like connection. Yeah. Somehow, because I, I, at this, at this point, we don't know who Mindy is. Like we haven't met her yet, but it's a, it's a really good just foreshadowing to in connection to the actress herself. Wow, that's such a good like canon tracking that those writers had to do to be like, oh, we made this joke about Mindy. We're gonna bring on this actress who like in the background really has this story. Yeah. It's amazing. Wow. Because I mean, I would not I was thinking about it. I was like, I don't know Jennifer Gray from anything. I didn't even recognize her when she played Mindy. And no. maybe it's because she had a different nose. I don't know. Yeah. Maybe it's true, but I, I, that's the only role that I know her from. Yeah. I looked her up while you were talking and she definitely, uh, does not look at all like baby at all. Yeah. But apparently she doesn't play Mindy the whole time. We get a different actress apparently. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. Anyway. (laughs) <laughs> Look at those friends, those friends writers just replacing people left and right. Know. <laughs> you know who does stay? Susan. The best. She's so good. Her hair is just phenomenal too. I know. I'm so jealous. So jealous. Oh yeah. Both her and Phoebe have this like lovely curly hair in this episode. And I was just like finding away with my tiny baby wispy thin hair. <laughs> you have beautiful hair, Sarah. Very baby hair. But I think that takes us to the end. Yeah, that's the episode. That's it. That's it. So I have a question for you. Like, who sucks this week? Uh, I think I think it's got to be Rachel. And for me, just because it's it's the putting her feet up when and 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 not realizing all of the stuff that Ross is saying and doing to like clearly put himself out there and she's just so aloof and obsessed with herself and her whole situation happening um so i i'm gonna give it to rachel this week yeah i agree i might give like a a a runner-up nomination to the doctor only because like (laughs) it's not tracking with real science (laughs) (laughs) well since this is her only episode she can take second place but I mean, we'll say like it was a feat of magic what she did. So true. 
<laughs> well, I think that's it this week. Oh, it was a pleasure. As always, I'll be there for you. I'll be there for you too. I love you, Sarah. I love you too. Bye, friend. Bye, guys. Better Friends Podcast is created, produced, edited, and all the other things by Ashley Madden and Sarah Reinen. Please rate and subscribe wherever you get your podcast. Send us your questions to betterfriendswatchingfriends at gmail.com. To find out more about Better Friends, please check us out on Twitter at betterfriendpod or on Instagram at betterfriendswatchingfriends. Thanks for listening.